Welcome to Self-Discovery Radio, where the discovery of self is just a show away. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Their Story Matters with me, your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today, Linda Jada J. We're going to be talking about addiction. Addiction comes in all forms. Of course, when we think about addiction, we're thinking about drugs and alcohol. And in the case of, of Linda, known as Jada J, um, it was that. But underneath all of that, we need to actually understand where addiction comes from. Most people, when they're in recovery, go just to another addiction. And it's that underlying need for addiction um, that we need to really look at. How do we help somebody that is in addiction? Um, how do you empower them without feeding that need uh, for more of whatever it is substance they're looking for? Linda is very, very brave to come on with us here today and share her story of many, many years of addiction. She finally had enough. She hit her rock bottom and she started standing up into her own life and embracing all her possibilities and realizing that there was only one way to go. It had to be up because the next one would be in the ground. I've known Linda since she was a little girl. She went to school with my oldest daughter, Tabitha. And it's heartbreaking as a mother to see a kid go down this road and feel powerless to be able to do anything for them. So we're also going to be talking today a little bit to the empowerment of the people around people with addiction. What can we do? How can we help? How can we aid them into their own recovery? Remember, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. They have to be thirsty enough, and sometimes they just have to bottom out. So this is Linda's story, and we're going to learn a great deal about addiction and what we can do about it, and really understanding it is a disease. It's not a life choice. It is something that is missing in their lives, and this is their way of finding the solution. Even sometimes it is abstinence of uh, facing the reality. So, Linda, thank you, darling, so much for coming on the show today and sharing this story with us. Hi, Sarah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you, uh, your introduction and having me on your show and me being able to share my story. Well, let's take people back. I mean, as I said, I've known you for many, many years since you were a little girl. And uh, kind of I can remember even kind of coming out to school or even the last couple of, you know, um, grades in school that already there was a path that seemed to be that you were taking. And, you know, let's first look at how you actually started on this path. Because, you know, people experiment, kids experiment, and they always think, well, I'm not going to get addicted. Um, Was it something that just once you started it, the addiction started, or was it you were escaping something? So let's go back a little bit. Well, I think what you said about escaping something, that definitely hits home for me. It definitely was also an experimental time when I was younger. Uh, Growing up kind of in an environment where drugs were the norm in the high school that I attended, I, I don't know if it was the crowd I chose to hang out with, or that they were just, it was just around me from a very young age. I was about 13 or 14 when I first experimented with marijuana and started drinking alcohol. But one thing stood out for me was that I never was able to drink or use 
experiment with drugs normally, like all my other peers, I was always in a position where I was the last one standing. Um, I would, I would, and, and my friends would kind of look at me and be like, wow, like, you, you're using a lot, or or you're still you're still awake, or you're still partying, and 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 this carried on into into through my teens into my early twenties. I was always I was always that one, uh, either calling in sick to work, or making a fool of myself, or calling the drug dealer the next day, and 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 the day after that, and the day after that, and and my friends were always in awe of like wow, she's, she doesn't know when to quit. She doesn't know when to stop. Uh, so so that's it, I kind of knew I was different at a young age in that sense, just not not, uh, not using like all my other friends are experimenting and, and always taking it one step further. So that was a huge indication for me. Mm-hmm. And of course, the fact that you could kind of take it beyond what other people's reaction was, was kind of like perhaps you kind of saying, oh, it's okay, I can cope with it. I'm not going the way they're going. Um, you know, this is okay, yeah. right? It's the alcoholic that's still a, a functioning alcoholic, you know, um, but they're still, they're working and drinking, but they're still the alcoholic. Yeah, and I think you touched on something important right then too. Is that I, I be, it began to become normal in my day to day activities, like like work or school. I remember showing up to, in in grade eleven into my law class, like just high on crystal meth, like you know, and that that is is crazy now that I think about that, mm-hmm. right? Like during that time, it was just it was normal for me to wake up in the morning. And the environment, of course, I was in, it was, it, um, it allowed me to, to do those kinds of things where it was, it was around me, so I thought it was normal, and, and I was escaping, it was definitely uh, escaping where I was at in my life and, and you know, what was going on uh, for me during that time in my family and, and things like that, where I, I just chose to numb out, and it was, and it was a easy solution for me um, for a long time. Like I was able to function like an addict, and 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 uh, I was able to do those those things like go to work and go to school and carry on with with things like that. But um, but like I said, like it really started to take a toll on 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 everything I was doing. I mean. I started, I started to lose jobs, and I started to not being able to complete things in school, and and failed tests, failed hold grades, and had to go back and do them again. I graduated a year late. Like I, it was, it started to become a problem. Um, but did you acknowledge the I, problem at that time, though? I mean, you know, most addicts don't even realize there's a problem. You know, they they kind of make yeah. an excuse for it. Were you at that stage, or did you recognize the problem? Well, I mean, back then, when I was when I was young, and I was I was just trying to graduate high school and this and and that. I I mean, no, I didn't acknowledge it was a problem then. I thought I was still in my party phase. I had started attending these like all night rave parties, and it had become a lifestyle choice uh, and, and a way and a way of living for me and my and all of my peers. But at that time, it was more acceptable because I was at that young age and I was partying, and it was like. I would we would go to a party on Friday night and you know it would carry on until Sunday and we wouldn't and then Monday morning I would just be like 
dead in, in, in class, right? And then, so that's when it started to carry on into, into, okay, well, why don't I continue using throughout the week? And it, that became normal as well. And, and um, yeah, it just, it just, it just progressed. And I think that's something that a lot of, that a lot of um, addicts experience is, is that their addiction becomes progressive and, and it, and, and certain, certain things become normal that shouldn't be normal. Like, like for example, using day to day through day to day life. And, and for, for myself, I, I began making a huge effort to, to hide this, this personality trait of mine, this addictive personality I had. All of my friends and my family, they wouldn't know that, that in reality, like Monday to Thursday, I was actually using in between those parties as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, so and that, and that is yeah. one of the problems with an addict, isn't it? Or, or, you know, no matter what the addiction is, is that they become really consummate in being able to hide it from people because they, you become yeah. functional, even though your function may not be up to par. Um, you know, people just, and this is why, you know, parents sometimes are the last ones to know because the kids get so good at hiding it. And it's just putting right. down to kind of teenage angst or going through some changes, especially as you said, your family was going through changes. So you're just reacting to it. But very, very often the parents are like the last one to realize that their kids are, are into something um, yeah. just because it's so well hidden. Yeah. And, and I remember staying awake for like three days at a time and then you, and and thinking, you know, this, there's something not normal about this. But at that point in my progression of my addiction, I wasn't, I was nowhere near ready to admit to somebody else that that this is what I was doing. I knew deep down that there was something wrong, uh, and I knew it wasn't acceptable for for myself. But because I was so so deep into my addiction and so um so much in love with that the feeling of being being numbed out that I. I, I just continued on with the secret and I didn't, I didn't want to let anybody know what was really going on. Um, just because you, I guess, I mean, did you ever have ahead, an sorry. overdose? I mean, did you, you know, did you ever end up no. in, in hospital or anything? It's this that, you know, you became so functional with it that you could take more and more and then keep on going. So, you know, had yeah. you, had you had that like ended up in hospital with an overdose, it, you know, it might've been your wake up call, but because you could take them, that you know for you just you probably just kept thinking I can yeah I mean I the first time I ended up in the hospital from drugs was when in my early 20s that did happen I I remember I remember that happening um and I remember actually the doctor looking at me and asking me because I I, he had he asked me okay you know what have you been doing this weekend what have you taken and and um, I had gone on about a, a list of about six different types of drugs that I had taken over over this rave party weekend that we had, and and he looked at me and asked me if I was if I was suicidal, and and he was dead serious, and I was like, no, like I was just trying to have a good time, right? But but the the reality was was that I was I had taken enough drugs to to kill me. And and at no point have I ever been suicidal. Like I've never wanted 
that to happen. I'm just like totally terrified of death, um, but able to take all these drugs. And, and I remember going through that experience and then um, it's scaring me a little bit, but not, not nearly enough for me to, to stop. Uh, I was, I was still dead set on, on using the drugs that I was using at that time. And, 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 and still kind of shrug it off, shrugged it off like, oh, I was just partying and not a big deal, right? So, so yeah, it's just like in retrospect and in hindsight, like looking back on those experiences, it was, it was, it's shocking that I, that wasn't enough for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those, those bottoms, those bottoms weren't bottoms enough, you know, almost losing my life, right? So, yes. very scary stuff. I mean, you know, in your case, for the fact that you could take so many and keep on going, I mean, obviously very strong constitution. Um, you know, my, one of my other daughter's friends took one pill, uh, one experiment, and ended up in hospital nearly losing her life. And had it not been for my daughter, would have lost her life. And it was one pill, one time in her whole life. Yeah. And that was it. And here you are knocking back things that's enough to kind of kill a few people. And uh, and I suppose in a, in a sense that maybe in your mind it was like, well... You know, um, maybe I'm not, um, you know, indestructible. You know, I, I can do this. I'm special. You know, I can take all these things yeah. where other people can't. So, you didn't know your limit, perhaps, because you no, you know, no limit was not even in my vocabulary at that time. And of course, it's very much the people you have around you, isn't it? As you said, you were partying yeah. with other people doing the same thing. And you yeah. know, in, in anybody, in anything you do in society, whatever you want to do and grow in in life, you need to have the right people around you. And if you've got other people that are in the same destructive behavior, all you're going to do is give each other excuses. You're certainly not going to encourage each other to kind of get out of the situation. Yeah, and that's just it too. And and I did, however, start losing friends in into later in my 20, I, I think I was about 23, 24, and I had been with, uh, I had been in a relationship for almost six years at this time, and I had I had become engaged to this man, and, and we had been planning this life together, and I think that is when um, everything took a turn, was when I, was when that relationship was lost, uh, because of my addiction, like, when it all boils down to was, was I chose my addiction over him, and, 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 that's when I started to kind of lose friends, lose relationships, and and people started looking at me differently and, and thinking, and, and that's when I kind of turned the other way and started hanging out with even um, a different crowd of people that that daily drug use was acceptable. And and to this group of friends that I lost, like, it, it wasn't acceptable, like, the person I was, and I kind of looked at my life and thought, okay, maybe I, I need to get help. And that was the first time that I had become willing to to receive any kind of help and, and going to a treatment facility and that was like a 28 day program right it was my first experience with recovery and it was I was about 23 24 when our engagement had broken off we our life had fell apart, fell apart together and I had began losing these this group of friends that I was associated with for many years um you know, I had I had to lose those things before I was like, okay, I'm an addict and I I need help, mm-hmm. right? And and I think by this point too, I had lost a few jobs and my life just wasn't going anywhere. I was I was a lot lots of things. It wasn't my health I was concerned about, which is funny to me now, 
that I, I wasn't concerned about myself. Mm-hmm. It was just what I what I had lost, like the relationships I had lost with people. It was that, like that is what drove me. And I thought I thought my first my first motivation to get help was because I lost this relationship with this man, and and um, and it just it devastated me. And I thought the only motivation was there was if I go through this treatment program, he'll take me back, right? So and of course when I was done with that treatment program, I was nowhere near really ready to, 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 um, to have a, a, a real life of recovery. I wasn't ready at that point. Yeah. Like I remember, and, and just learning there for the first time that even alcohol is a drug and I wasn't able to have a, even one drink. I couldn't come to terms with that. There was, and, and I remember leaving that treatment facility after the 28 days and, the first thing I did was I had a drink, right? I just wasn't, it was just the, the level of de- denial was so deep. And I think that's one thing that many addicts struggle with is, is, is the denial, right? And, like the, and, and, the, and the complete radical. I mean, you have to utterly change your lifestyle. So it's the complete radical way of, uh, of you know, like, uh, you know, as the no drink, uh, the no drugs, the no nothing, the changing of the diet, the changing of the perspective, and just sometimes the you know the the brain and the psyche just can't do these things all at once. You know, people don't understand why people keep going back into rehab, and they don't realize it's a complete reset of everything yeah. in your yeah. mind. And and uh, you know, it's you have to find a, a, a wor- self worth. You know, something to, a reason not to go back. Um, you've got to change past habits. Um, you've got to be embraceive of new strides. But the other problem is, is that what started it in the first place? And if you don't address that, all you're going to do is going to either back into the same addiction or create a new one. Yeah, yeah, and that's just it. Is uh, is 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 the minute I had been released for I thought I was cured right and, and I think this is a misconception of, of many people that go into a program of, of recovery and they think oh, okay I'm done I graduated from this program and now I can do successfully and I think that was my motivation at first was to just learn how to use and and carry on like other people like my friends like the people around me who, who seem to like be able to have an off switch I never had that off switch something I always lacked. Yeah, and, so you didn't um, know your limits. So it, when enough no. was enough, you just kept on going. I just kept on going. Yeah. Right. And there was no, there was no end to it. And I, I would sacrifice things, you know, like, and my friends would, I remember them, them being like, yeah, well, I'm going to, you know, stop using and, and go to work today. And I, I would be like, what do you mean? You know, like, you know, let's party. Let's, let's, let's phone the dealer. Let's, let's have another go. Let's, you know, and I was always the instigator there. And, and, and that, that in itself, and I, you know, for many years, I thought that was just, that was the way it was supposed to be. And, and yeah, so it's, it's interesting just reflecting on, on my journey and, and taking a look back at the choices I made and, and how long it took me to actually get to a place of, of acceptance Yes, in my in my recovery journey. I mean, you know, it, you took longer for because you didn't have any of those, you know, the hatchets in the head and the crash and burns. Um, you know, had you been a person that did react like that and, and had those near death experiences, and um, you know, then it probably would have hit you, you know, earlier. Um, but because you were able just to keep on going, um, 
you know, you again, you look at some alcoholics of what they pack away every day, and they're out there as lawyers, surgeons, doctor, you know, uh, doctors and judges and cops and things like that, and and they hide it very well because they're very functioning, um, and right. and uh, until one day, you know, they're not, and then they make yeah. a big mistake, and then that's their wake up call. So you know what all those little if the trouble is with you is you kept going back to the same people. And, bec- and yeah. really, when you think about it, you know, 13, 14, those are the only people that you really knew. So, you know, yeah. you, you didn't know anything else. You didn't know any other people. And the other people had different lifestyles that didn't involve drugs. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think the shame and the guilt for me as well was was huge. And breaking past that, I felt very shameful knowing that I was an addict and deep down knowing that I was an addict, but not able to come to a level of, of that acceptance. Um, it, it, I, I was always ashamed of, of that and trying to cover it up and hide it in all these different ways. Whether I was in recovery or I was in addiction, I was always trying to hide who I really was. And um, it's just not like that for me today. It's, it's, it's totally changed. Like I've come to a place where I've learned that I can not only empower others but empower myself as well to continue on in my in my journey of recovery you know it's like it's like if i'm able to admit it to others then i'm able to to show who i really am and it it does absolutely motivate me to to continue on in my recovery journey right yeah you're so, owning it you know before yeah, you, you you were abstaining from that ownership and now you're owning it and you're not beating yourself up or judging yourself on it it was a journey that you took that you got caught up in a cycle and you've broken that cycle and that's what you own today this is what I did this is what it means today and you know now you've become that beacon of courage and light to others Um, and you know that empowerment of what other people can do you know um, what was your, your final crash and burn that really was enough is enough oh my gosh Sarah I I'm you there are so many so many times where enough was enough, but but I still came out like there was okay. There was a time where I ended up homeless on the streets of Vancouver. Thank God it was summer. Like I still laugh about that. That was about three years ago. I actually ended up um, homeless for, for the first time ever, and I never thought it would be me. But mm-hmm. this was this was my life, right? Like I was I was actually living on the streets. I think I was living in my car and what had happened was I went through a roadblock and I was high out of my mind and so they impounded my my car and then I could never get the money to get it out so so what I wanted to stress to these police officers at that time was like you're going to understand you're not impounding my not only impounding my car but this is where I'm living I'm living out of the trunk of my car um so that carried on for about one or two months where where homelessness was my reality and and I, I was you know, doing crime, you know, um, and to get by, and, and, and that was a crazy life. And I had actually been arrested, and I did some time in jail, so that was also a bottom. But I remember coming out of jail and staying with family for about a week or so to, to kind of get some meat on my bones again and, and get some energy back, and, and there I was again, out, out again, right? And... So, so I did go through periods where I had almost, I had near-death experiences. I had passed out behind the wheel at one point, um, and there was angels watching me that night, and I had gone through the, the whole homelessness thing and then being in jail and experiencing that. 
And it just, it wasn't enough for me. I don't know what it was. It just wasn't bottom enough, right? So, mm-hmm. but then it had kind of empowered me to get to those bottoms and then I was able to to become willing to go into a treat to treatment facilities, right? So, I mean, this, this past time was my fourth, time in, in treatment and through education and therapy and a 12-step 12, 12 program, I'm able to carry on in my recovery journey, right? And But it took a lot of, it took a lot of bottoms for me to, to, to hit. And I think, I think when my parents and my family kind of stopped enabling me was when I was able to hit those bottoms. And unfortunately, I think, I think that, that the reality for lots of addicts like they have to be able to reach those bottoms because if they're enabled through their addiction then they're never going to be able to become willing you know if nothing if 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 it's not if it's not painful then they're not going to change right like if they're comfortable yeah. and if they're it's it's there's no change nothing's going to happen so i'm so grateful actually that my parents um and my family kind of got to a place where they were like you know what you can't come here anymore we're not gonna we're not gonna support this and when they told me not to to stop coming around and that became a reality it hit me on so many levels like emotionally i was just devastated that i i wasn't able to to be there and I, that they wanted nothing to do with me, like that really hit home for me. And I think that's important for for any family though they're struggling with with an addict in their family to to cut the ties because they they actually believe that they're doing the per, their their loved one uh, a favor by by helping them through what they're going through with money and with being able to to stay at their place and stuff like that. But they're actually doing them a huge disservice. It's like enabling it actually. Make keeping them sick, right? So, but you know, from a parent's perspective, you know, it's the abandonment of your child. You know, you're 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 having to disown a child. And, you know, that is, you know, something so utterly painful. You know, for um, what you're doing to your parents on that, for them to actually get to that level where they have to do that, and you know, the understanding that you have to do that, but at the same time, constantly waiting for that phone call you know, from the morgue um, or from the police. And it's, you know, it's it's not just you that's been going through this. It's the people that you love around you. And it's, uh, you exactly. know, let's talk to the, uh, the families is that you see your kids going through something and they're just like a train wreck and like nothing your family could do could stop you because you weren't willing to take ownership of it. Um, you could handle it. You were okay. Um, so therefore, what could they do to... to to do so maybe we can actually talk to what can family members do um, to maybe derail this before it gets out of hand how to handle it um, you know to nip it in the bud or if it has got so far reached um, who can they bring in as resources to help because they're in just as much pain um, but you're in denial you know they're in reality so maybe share some tips there yeah, I think educa- education is key in this, in this, uh, in in this, in this particular topic uh, about family and and recovering. And I think I think you're absolutely right when you say that it it's a family disease. It's not only the the addict who is suffering, but everybody around them who is suffering as well, right? And I mean, God bless my mother. If it wasn't for her, 
uh, I, there was no way I would, I would be able to make it through my recovery. She was always very supportive, but she knew when to, to stop the enabling with the money and, you know, the, like being able to stay there and stuff like that. And, and she knew how to put her foot down, like, but, but she actually got some help with, with that from, from counseling services for families of, of addicts. Like, and there are other support groups as well, um, like Naranon, for example, that deal, with, that deal with families of addicts. And she, she was, yeah, like I said, like she was able to be there for me, but she knew when to, when to stop to say enough is enough like she would be there for me in the sense like I love you I'm never going to abandon you but you need to get help and and she would always be there pushing me to get to get help and coming over and and bringing me food that is where that is it that that is where it stopped like she wouldn't give me money she wouldn't um she was really careful in, in how she was supportive to me and I think that is really important but education I think too is is vital. Um, I think many families have no idea what addiction is, yes, or how to help that person, or and and when is en- enough enough and and enabling and all that. I think it's so important for families to actually become educated in the disease of addiction and and how one recovers from 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 it. I, I mean, it's so important. And my mom's so supportive. Like she still re- she remembers my clean date and she'll phone me on on that day and be like you know congratulations like for example yesterday was just my eight months and she she called me and she's like oh congrats Linda you know I love you and 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 those kinds of things are so important right like she's so so supportive in my recovery so so you know the thing is as a parent you can show love but you you know you 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 have to also show the disapproval um and and not enable of that so it's not like turning your way your back on somebody it is it's kind of consequences i'll always love you and i will support you if you're willing to take your journey but if you're not going to take your journey i'm not going to support the journey you're on and it's a hard thing for a parent to do and i really great advice about reaching out in your community to those organizations that can help you through it because a drug addict never understands the pain they put the family through and it can tear a family yeah. apart. And so it's really important that they go for that counseling and get those resources and how to deal with it. And, you know, the problem is, is that addiction, people can have addictive natures. You've got people that are addicted to exercise, addicted to chocolate, <coughs> me, and addicted to food. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You've got those addictions and they're there to subsidize the feeling. You know, uh, they're a comfort. They're, they're, there's something that kind of fills in a gap for something you haven't got. We really need to look down on what the root was. Where, where, where did this all stem from? People can have that genetic addictive nature, but for them yeah. to go so absolutely immersed in something, there's always a trigger. So what was the trigger? And if you don't go back to that beginning and look at what that trigger is, there's just going to be a, a different form of addiction coming up, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I think there. some people are genetically disposed. Like I know that I'm definitely genetically disposed to it. Um, one of my grandparents was an alcoholic and, and she, she suffered and, and I think it, it part, it's partially that and it's partially, it's partially some, some of the triggers from, from, um, you know, from 
being youth and and being and the environment I surrounded myself in and the friends I chose, I think it. I think honestly that I was born. I was born an addict, and I it was it was going to happen anyways, yeah. no matter how I sliced it. Like how, you know, I was going to find out sooner or later that this was it was in my genes, right? Like I, I honestly believe that because I remember being super young and just feeling just feeling different and just dealing I remember the first time I got drunk like it was not it was not normal by any means like I had I had drank into the point of of poisoning and 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 we're, all my friends didn't do that right and yeah. and um you had no boundaries I had no boundaries like from from the first time and I think I, I was like 12 or 13 the first time I ever got drunk and it wasn't it and and right from that right from that point it wasn't normal right or or whatever that is it's it's it and it just carried on it just carried on like so i mean so if you've got you know like uh as you said it's kind of genetically that it's in the family and of course if you've got children where you're kind of seeing that addictive nature you know their childhood is obviously coming out you know get addictive to their favorite toy the favorite this and a little kind of obsessive over it you can see that that perhaps is it is in their nature and so you don't want them anywhere near the drugs or those kind of people and it's it's kind of that education and that redirection right from the word go i interviewed a woman some years ago a wonderful woman tracy mcgee and she grew up with a family of alcoholics. I mean, the entire extended family. She lost 10 family members to alcohol. And she at 15 wow. had a drink in her hand and it was a choice. Do I take this and follow the same path or do I put it down? And she put it down and then became um, you know, a grief counselor uh, and, and helping people through those with addictions and, uh, you know, has become an advocate for the survivors and the people. But she pointed out the addiction was so strong and the, and the, and the fact that they couldn't support one another. I mean, she got her father clean for a while and then it was just too strong and it pulled him back because it was so genetically inbound in that family train that, mm-hmm. you know, 10 family members in a short period of time. So, mm-hmm. you know, addiction is serious. It's very, very serious. And, you know, a lot of society just looks at, oh, just an addict. And, you know, that just an addict is a human being in trouble. And, yeah. you know, and what we need to look at is that how do we get them out of trouble? Don't treat them like trash. Don't push judgment on them because you don't know what got them there. And, of course, yeah. you know, the addict has to reach that, that stage where it is, yes, I'll accept the help. Um, yeah, and it's, it's giving, yeah, it's giving a life uh, a chance at freedom, right? And I, I don't think anybody, nobody chooses to be an addict. And I think that is that is something that many people believe, and I just don't think that's true. No, it is a disease, and it's not a choice. It's um, but it's, having said that, recovery is is then a choice, right? If if you do come to a place where you identify as an addict becoming willing to to say you know what I'm, I'm i choose life today and that yeah. is something that that is so important uh for me in my in my own life it's like it's like it's really black and white for me it's it's either life or it's either death yeah. and and that's it like i this time around you know your body just your body stops being able to deal with the drugs right yeah. and i think for me for me it was like feeling like I was going to die like four or five times a day from the anxiety attacks that I was having 
to this day, I don't know if they were anxiety attacks or if my heart was actually starting to fail. Like, my body was shutting down. And, and that's so scary. Like, nobody, you don't want to live like that, no. right? But then being so, so incredibly dependent on those drugs, like, I wouldn't even be able to get out of bed, um, talk, walk, sleep, eat, anything. I wouldn't be able to do anything unless I was on drugs. So being, being so incredibly physically dependent on those drugs, it is a painful place to be. And then living in that fear, anxiety, and depression every single day, it's like, it's, that, it, it no longer be, is a choice anymore. To, if you have to live like that, I, I, I recognize and understand that pain more than anybody, like as much as anybody else, or, and I can identify with that. And that is, is when I hit that rock bottom where it was like, okay, like I'll do anything to not feel like this anymore, right. you know? And, and it's, and uh, and then just coming to that place of okay, I, I choose recovery. I'm going to get get help with this, right? And coming to a place of okay, I'm not. I, I've proven it to myself. I, I cannot live live um, successfully with using drugs. There's no way. And I think I think for a long time that was my, an obsession of mine was being able to control my my use. The reality is, it always came down to I had no choice no choice when I was using drugs and alcohol. Like, and I think that's one of the biggest things that helped me this time in my recovery. I remember being in my step one. I am going through, you know, a 12-step program. It's something I, I do for my recovery. And um, my sponsor, she explained it to me that way, was that with step one, it, it states you're powerless over your addiction and, and your life has become unmanageable. And she she asked me, is do you understand what powerlessness is? And, and you know, you kind of think about the word, and yeah, okay, I get what powerless is, but, but she explained it to me this way in the sense that when I have that drug in my body, I'm completely powerless. I don't have a choice. I have no power. Mm-hmm. My, my next step or my next move, my next decision, it's already made for me by that drug. That is powerlessness. Yeah. In my recover, in my recovery, I am com- I am powerful. Like I, I can make a decision to have a phone call with you today. I, I can make a decision to go leave my house and grab something to eat. I, I can make a decision to apply for this job. I can make a decision to live my life. I can. I have a choice. So that makes me powerful. So when she explained step one to me like that, that was was a moment for me. Right. Like being trying this recovery thing over and over, like over a 10-year period, I never grasped uh, powerlessness like I did when she explained it that way. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, like I can really, I can really identify with that because I don't have a choice in my addiction. Right. There's no choices. There's no choices left. All I care about is what, is how I'm going to get that drug into my body. That's it. It, it, it takes, everything else takes a backseat, right? So it's all about how I would choose to live my life. And, and, and once I've made that decision, then it's just waking up every day and recommitting to that, to that and being like, okay, I'm going to live today. You know, I don't need to pick up. And now I've come to a place where I, I, it's not, I don't struggle with staying clean. It's not something I struggle with. I struggle with coping with every day to day life things that happen to everybody else because I'm so used to picking up a drug to kind of numb out or, help me get through something so when I when I do struggle with something then then that's my natural 
reaction in my brain is like, okay, what do I, what can I pick up? Right. But, but like it's, and that's, that's like, I have a support network of people that, that are going through the same kind of things that I can pick up a phone and, and I can cope with things differently now. And I've, I've, I've learned how to do that. You've through a recovery tools. program. Yeah, that's the yeah, thing. Is you learn, you learn, instead of the escaping tools, which that's all drugs are, you know, there's absolutely no ownership of anything. You're just purely escaping. You know, they've given you tools now that, you know, li- you know, life has its ups and downs and it's how we react to it is, you know, going to dictate how stressful it is. And the more you have the tools in order to, you know, uh, embrace those wonderful challenges that come along, um, you know, the easier it gets and the less stressed we become. But it's having those tools and without those tools, how can you walk forward? You're going to fall back on something that, you know, just was easy. You know, oh, it's too much for me. I'm just going to avoid it numb out right. you know instead of right. having a tool and go you know this isn't so big as I think it is I've got this tool that I can work through it and so therefore I can get on to the other side yeah and that's just it and 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 pushing past that negative thinking too and just being able to surrender and saying you know what you know what like those those thoughts are not real right like I, I think I think any addict can identify with with negative thinking it's just totally almost plagued with it. It's like, but well, it's the excuse a to way. shoot up. It's it's the excuse, you know. I'm feeling negative and sad, so therefore I'm going to take. So it's become the way yeah. your mind has worked. You know, keep you in misery, so you keep taking. Yeah, and I think I think everybody, non non addict and addict, can identify with with negative thinking. Oh yeah. But having said that, I think an addict. Can, actually deals with with this with this more and, and they're easily fall into that place of oh, okay I'm just going to pick up something to to kind of get rid of this feeling um so so kind of wrapping that up I think I think addiction it it's not really about drugs it's about coping yeah. it's about life skills right it's about dealing with life and and for me that's that's how it, that's that's what I've discovered is that is that I don't have a drug problem I have a coping problem yeah so it's interesting, right? And drugs were your way of coping. And uh, yeah. it's also understanding your own triggers too, right? You know, there's always something that's going to trigger us to go off and become defensive. And, you know, if those triggers make you defensive. And for some people, it makes them angry and lash out. Uh, you know, for some people, it makes them run to something to numb out. Uh, in your case, it was the numbing out. Um, and so yeah. if you recognize those triggers and then you give him those coping skills, uh, it, it's just like, you know, okay, something's raised its ugly head today, a few very good deep breaths and a few good tools, and I can just put this behind me. But we have to be willing to take responsibility, accountability, and ownership of our own choices and actions, yeah. and but being aware of them and what our options are helps us to, to make those good choices. Yeah, and I think that's that's it too. Is is being aware of options. I think that's so important. I think many addicts, especially in British Columbia, they have no idea the help that's available to them at no cost. You know, and and a lot of people believe, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't go to treatment. That's going to cost me too much money. Well, it's actually, it's actually paid for by by the BC um, provincial by by the provincial government. I mean, you're able to attend these professional you're going to get professional help at help at these programs and you're not going to have to pay right and it's and so many addicts don't even have any clue about it and i think it's like the outreach and 
outreach is so important in in Vancouver and and uh, like you look at the problem on the east side and I just think that's one thing that is lacking out there is like do these people even have know about their options right and many many of them don't many of them don't and it's it's sad because it's like this this help is available to everybody everybody but of course you know they've got to be able to to want to seek it I mean I was they down we, we've got that yeah. strip down on Hastings you know um Hastings and Maine you know just down uh to kind of where the Canby strip is and I've been here 35 years and in that 35 years it's been the drug corridor and the down and out and you know we were going past there last night to a function and there are a whole pile of cops and the ambulance and somebody completely beaten up looking a little bit like the walking dead you know covered yeah. in blood etc and it's and it's you know no matter what they keep trying to do with that area it is that area that you know just keeps bringing people back and there are months their own and so there's nobody there to kind of show them the way because everybody's in the same pot as in nobody knows yeah. how to get out of the pot so if you when you aren't in your drug situation it's very very important that you start looking to other people um you know people right. that inspire you people that that kind of you know impress you and start hanging out with them and looking at what they're doing uh, before kind of that drug pulls you back in don't go amongst the same people again and and that goes for any form of addiction. You know, a lot of people have addiction when it comes to relationships. Keep going back into the circle to the same type of man. When it comes down right. to it, and you know this because you've taken this hard journey, it is that value of self, that ownership and responsibility of your own choices, that love of self that's going to attract the right people in life. But that is your job. You've got to find that love within you. You've got to learn to well, love and value you. And I, I think I think when you say that, like I definitely it was so difficult for me to have any love for myself at that time. But right. what what I did what did help me was my love for well, I mean what inspired me the most was was my love for my family. Like I didn't love myself at all. Uh -huh. So it was difficult for me to come from a place of loving myself. It was like I needed to be around people who were gonna love me until I learned how to love myself. Yeah. And and that's and that's what I found going through a treatment facility, right? Was was they kind of carried me through those few, first few months of of of, of pretty much hell. Like I was I was a really sick sick girl, right? I was I was I was in psychosis. I was like under a hundred pounds, um, on the verge of, of of death. Really, was when I was when I chose. Okay, I'm going to enter a detox facility and and kind of begin a journey, but. At that time, I remember thinking, "I'm I'm not going to stay clean through this. Like I'm I'm going to go because I'm almost dead." And then, so do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Like, yes. yeah, I wasn't I wasn't near in a place of like, oh, I I love myself enough to do this. It, it yeah. wasn't that that motivated me. It was it was more like I had to lie to myself to get myself through those doors. Like I remember phoning my drug dealer the the day I went to the day before I went to detox and saying, oh, I'm going into a treatment facility tomorrow and I'll, so I'll talk to you in 90 days. Like that was my plan right. was that I was going to stay there for 90 days and then I was going to use, right? So it's kind of lying, lying to myself to get myself through those doors. But that was enough, right? Because like after those 90 days, guess what? There's no way in hell you can pay me to pick up the phone and right. phone my brother to phone my drug dealer. Like, yeah. I don't ever want to go into that place of, of pain again. 
right? But it's like it's like that's how sick I was, right? Was was like so so now now I'm I, I'm standing here talking with you, and now I could say I love myself enough. Yes. But but I think those first few months are like crucial in in just like allowing other people to love you and allowing other people to help you through a hard time and receiving the help. Because one thing is true for me, and I know for every other addict out there, is we're freaking stubborn. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we're freaking stubborn, and we don't like asking for help at all. Like, because we're, we're like, no, I got this, I can do this, I can handle this. Um, it's, it's that sense of false pride that I think every addict can, can identify with. Uh, and for me, that was especially, especially the case. I'm like, no, man, I, I got this. It's okay. I can handle it. I can handle my life. So getting to a place of receiving help, I think that's that's crucial in the first steps of of, of getting the help that, that you need, right? Yes, exactly. You know, it's it's. I think, you know, you were gasping for life. You were gasping for air. And you knew that you couldn't even take another fix until you fixed yourself. And in that fixing of yourself, you realized you didn't need another fix. Um, but you right. just you just reach that stage, and I think, you know, for everybody that's had that redirect in life, you know, for people that have realised, you know, I've had people that were, you know, walking down one path and totally ignored the signs, you know, the universe speaking to them, you know, literally one person having eighteen tumours in his head. I call that literally the hatchet in the head, and it, you know, that last tumour going. Well, maybe the universe is telling me I'm going in the wrong direction. Totally turned his back on his life entirely. And started following a path of more authenticity and you know now is completely clean and and living a path of meaningful and and love and purpose and and uh, you know the addiction we look at it when it comes to drug and alcohol but we don't realize that people are addicted to the work um, they're addicted right. to you know to other substances they're addicted to power um, they're addicted to um, you know bullying or they're you know they're addicted to sex um addiction yeah. you have to really look at what you know what is that addiction don't ignore it just because it's not drugs and alcohol yeah yeah it, it, you're right it completely manifests itself in many different ways and this is something as well that uh, i can identify with as being a recovering addict like just because i'm finished with drugs and alcohol it doesn't mean my addiction doesn't manifest itself through through other ways right like, yeah i think you you touched on it there it's like work it's like food it's like whatever right gambling well not for me yes. but like but some people it manifests so it's like learning about those things and that's that's why any recovering addict can 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 take that opportunity to kind of work a program of recovery around whatever they're struggling with it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's drugs or alcohol or sex or gambling or or work or or we can kind of like incorporate those those principles that we've learned into other areas of our life that we're struggling with. And that's the beauty of recovery is that it's not, it's not just one, one sided. It's not just helping you. It's like helping you in so many different ways, right? Like I'd even recommend um, a program of recovery for somebody who's not an addict at all. It's, it's like incorporating those spiritual principles and learn and, and becoming authentic and one with yourself. It's like anybody can benefit from that. Yes. Not just an addict, right? And, and, you know, we have so many people that are living empty lives. You know, I, I don't know what I'm here for. You know, um, I call, you know, people divas and, and you've become that diva. Children are born with the ability to dream, 
to be inspired by that dream, see the vision of that dream and aspire to make it happen. That's what gives them all that beautiful imagination and, and drive in life. And then they get into society, school and dictation, and then they become what society dictates them to be and they lose the diva. Well, because you're now in the position to be able to dream again and be inspired by life, you're now able to see a vision for your future that you can aspire to. So you've become that diva now because you've embraced that redirect and embraced what you're here for. And maybe this everything you went through now is to be that advocate for change, for recovery. Um, I've been through hell and back. I know where you were, but you know, come and visit me over in life's heaven. Um, and that's your path now. That's your inspiration now. Yeah, that's exactly it. Is 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 now? I have a life ahead of me, and that, and that that is so empowering. It's like I have a choice, right? Like I can, I can, can I can do anything I want with my life now that I'm not living in addiction. Yes, but but it's it's that it's that pivotal moment, right? That you have to kind of look at your life and be like. I want something different. I, I don't want to be sick anymore. And it's just like you hear a lot in, in, in recovery, people people talk about, well, if, if you had any other disease, if you had cancer, then you would get treatment for it, right? Yes. Well, well, this is, this is the same thing. It's like I have a cancer in my brain. It's like I have this addiction. It's a disease, and, I, and there is help offered out there. And anybody can take it anybody can and it's just a matter of becoming willing and, and making those phone calls and I think at the end of the show too it will be important for like I, I looked up the phone number for detox and because it's important that anybody in recovery or I mean in addiction um, phones themselves right and, yes. and I mean, my family wanted to phone for me on many different occasions but when it comes down to it is they won't they won't hear you unless you pick up the phone yourself. So I think um, if I can read that number out at yeah. the end of the show. Well, we read it out now and we'll do it at the end of the show as okay. well. Yeah, okay. So so the phone number there is 1-866-658-1221. Again, it's 1-866-658-1221. And that's Access Central and they'll, they'll be able to help you get a bed in a detox facility, which is what I recommend because when you get to those that facility, then they're able to guide you to the next steps into a safe place, into many different kinds of treatment programs. Like there's there's a vast variety of help out there. And I think it's important to stress that going straight from detox into a treatment facility is the only way that I was ever able to stay clean. I mean, I mean, like if it wasn't for for that, then there's no way I'd, I'd be able to clean today, right? Yeah, you like, would have made that ninety like, day phone call and picked up more drugs. Yeah, because I'll kind of take you through it. Like, like you go to a detox facility, you stay there for about five to seven, sometimes maybe even ten days, right? And the main purpose of being in a detox facility is to safely and medically get you off the de- physical dependency of, of drugs, right? So, I mean, for me, it was I, it was important for me to go in a place like that because I could have actually died from the withdrawals uh, because of one of the drugs of choice that I, that I chose. Um, I had to be medically detoxed or else, it, like, it was life or death, right? Yes. So being in a facility like that, but then they, they, their staff is really knowledgeable 
in, in taking you through the next options. And I stress, like, if you're going to go into a detox facility, don't just go home after because you don't have the tools. Right. There's no tools. There's no tools there to be able to stay clean. Like, I remember um, I, knowing this through my experiences. So I phoned where I cleaned up at, which was Westminster House Treatment Center for Women. And I, I asked them, like, do you have somebody that can pick me up from detox to take you, to take me there? Because I didn't trust myself in between, right? Like I, I, and, and when that lady showed up in the parking lot, I was already standing outside on the phone with my drug dealer when she showed up. And I remember saying to him on the other end, oh, I got to go, um, my ride's here, right? But if, if she wouldn't have showed up to pick me up and if I wouldn't have made that extra step of, of making sure that, that I had a ride between detox and, and the treatment center uh, I was going to, there's no way I would still be clean today, right? And I think you probably would be dead because as you said, your body was shutting down. So it couldn't take that abuse anymore. Yeah. But but there's no way I was strong enough at that point to to not make that phone call, right? Like it's almost like what you're physically doing is it's just on, it's on, um, it's on like automatic. It's on a, like when you're driving in a car, I forget what that's called. It won't come to me. But yeah, well, it, it is. Dri- yes, it is. Um, it's like you're on autopilot. Autopilot. Right? Like yes. You're yeah. Not, yeah. You're not making those decisions. It, you can't. You're stop reacting. Like, I can't, you're in reaction. Yeah, you're not in. You're in, in yeah. Yeah. There's no. There's no tools there, and and um, even if even if I didn't want to, I would still be making that phone call, right? Like it's not. It's not that I want to. It's just that like. I just couldn't stop my body from doing that. So it's like, it's really interesting, right? But these little things, incorporating those little things is the only reason why I'm, I'm, I'm clean today is because I made those precautions, right? But uh, that was after years, and, and that could save somebody like 10 years of trying and failing, right? Like, because because I spent a long time trying and failing. And, and I mean, there was times, like, I stayed clean for almost two years once, and and I can't wait until that day where I can say I'm I'm multiple years clean, right? Because like, cause that's somewhere I've never been. Like I've been clean for a year, I've been clean for 18 months, you know. But but um, this time around it's going to be like it's it's a life journey, and I've committed to the a life of recovery for myself. It's just it's just where I'm at, right? And the more so, you talk uh, about it, the more you share it, the more you actually empower your own journey. Uh, and the more you yep. help other people understand the empowerment they can find in themselves, um, you know you have the addictive nature in there, so you know that you have to be mindful over your choices in life. But you've made a choice to place a value on your life, to love yourself, to stand for something, to embrace all your possibilities. And until somebody is at that level where they can start making that choice, you can't say to an addict, you know, make a choice. As you said, they're on auto- autopilot. Everything is dialing the dealer. Um, you have to yeah. get to that stage where the tools are there and say, oh, I actually have another choice. And you know, yeah, yeah. that switch has to change. Yeah, and giving your, yourself enough time in between you and your addiction, right? Like now, now there's time between me and my addiction, and now I have, I have a choice, and I've learned... I've learned other coping skills and I have a support network and I, I work a program of recovery and it's, and I'm gaining a life out of it, right? Like I, I, I have my family back in my life. I have all these amazing career opportunities. I'm able to wake up in the morning and, and 
I have a sense of freedom in my life, and it's it's amazing. I mean, I mean, and it's available to anybody who wants it. It, yeah. it, it is there. And you've got and to so get to that so level much, of wanting it. Yeah, and there's so much hope, right? And it's like, and it's just reaching out and asking somebody like myself or somebody that you know has gone through recovery and just asking them, hey, what did you do? You know, and like, can you, because anybody, it's like one addict helping another and that's, that, that is what we do, right? It's like, because yes. I understand, I know what it's like to, to be in that insanity and yeah. and just, and that fear, anxiety and, and, and depression and just of, of sickness and it, nobody needs to live like that and it's like, I'm, I'm so passionate about, about wanting to, to help, right? And, 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 um, and it not only can I help others, but it, it helps me too, right? Because it help it kind of instills that remembering what it was like for me. And, um, and yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a fantastic journey. And I like really urge anybody to, who is struggling to, to reach out and ask for help. So everything in life, everybody, whether they're an addict or not, has at some point in their life got to face those life challenges to embrace a life of meaning and purpose. We've all got to be willing to invest in ourselves. We've all got to be willing to take the journey, go through the hard times, um, find our tools, be inspired by other people. It's the reason I do these shows. All people like yourself, brave enough to come along and share their story that becomes an inspiration and a how-to for other people to embrace their own lives. The answers are out there. The people are out there. You've just got to be willing to listen, to hear, and to act on what you're, what you're, what's been shared with you. And that has to be our choice. Nobody can help you until you're willing to help yourself. And, you know, thank you for finally helping yourself, Linda. Thank you so much for embracing your own value and your own truth in life and having the courage without shame and without apology to stand up and say... This is the journey I've had, but this is where I'm going now. I'm becoming that beacon of light for others. Thank you, Sarah. It means a lot. Now, are you still doing your show, the Jane J Show? Um, I am blogging for my website. It's at jjj.com, and I am producing and developing a talk show right now. It's going to be called Love Certified, and it's going to be on... CJSF 90.1 FM. So I'm excited about that. There's some things, projects that I'm working on. Um, yeah, and if, if you're struggling in addiction and, and you need somebody to talk to, shoot me an email at jadaj at me.com. So that's J-A-Y-D-A-J-A-Y at me.com. And uh, and that's that's kind of the first step, right? It's like just reaching out, like I said, and, and if you are struggling asking somebody who's been there and and uh i am always willing to help in that sense so exactly and you know as you said you're an inspiration now to to other people and uh you know whether it's whether it's addiction or whether it's just somebody going through pain or a divorce or losing a career or whatever the case is it's you know knowing what you've been through which is literally to hell and back uh and you know that you've come out of it now as you said the tools that you've learned are life tools that anyone can learn um, to apply to their lives and uh, you know sharing those tools is just going to help somebody else so thank you so much for you know putting yourself on the line here sharing your story and uh, and just showing how easy it is to get in that spiral down 
and that also until somebody reaches that that rock bottom they can't climb back up um so if you've got somebody that's a, you know in addiction in your life i think slip them the card in their pocket with the number on to call when they're ready um show yeah, them love please. but don't show, don't enable them and uh, you know just maybe keep talking to their possibilities and at some point the switch will turn but unfortunately it's not going to turn until they're ready absolutely thank you so much for having me on the show sarah it's been a pleasure it certainly has um thank you darling so folks it's up to you your life is up to you every choice you make is up to you we can run from it we can hide from it but eventually it's going to tap us on the shoulder and say sorry folks you've got to stand up and face your own life after all you're with yourself for the rest of your life so you may as well enjoy who you are and what you're here for be willing to take the journey it's not as scary as you think and when you truly start living in love and purpose that's when you really actually understand what life is all about so be willing to take the journey until next time folks <laughs>